Hello, my fellow warriors. Today, I have a special guest. I'm really eager for you to hear from and hear his story. But before I let you do that, I wanted to share with you a little bit about his story. And it's kind of interesting because this bio is a perfect intro to the topic that we have chosen today. So let me tell you this. He starts out his bio with with something I absolutely love because I think everybody can relate to it in some way, no matter what age you are. He said, have you ever woken up and thought to yourself that you're living someone else's story? Can anyone relate to that? I sure can. At the age of 40, I had an epiphany. Well, you could say a midlife awakening of sorts. If I wanted to impact people the way I always imagined and find authentic happiness, keep, keep keyed in on that one. I had to do one thing at that moment. The only thing I had to change was everything. Now that kind of story might scare people. What do you mean I have to change everything? So we're gonna get into that, but this is really cool. He said that was the beginning of one journey that would start a thousand more to help others find their purpose. See, it's never just about us. Share their story and build human connections and trusted bonds that disrupt positive social change on a global level. Simply put, we have the power to start movements. Now, I could go on and on about Tucker's uh, accomplishments professionally and personally, but I want to get right into talking with him. This is my special guest today. And by the way, I want to first mention that, that Tucker and I started out in a business relationship. He's a mentor of mine, somebody that I look up to and has helped me so much in, in ways I can't even begin to express, but we've also become friends. And I'm sure by reading just that small part of his bio, it doesn't surprise you that we have connected at a much deeper level than just something professional. So let me welcome Tucker Stein. Thank you for having me, Valerie. It's great to see you as always. Of course, I can't believe this is the first time I'm getting you on a podcast. It's crazy. I know, because I think we've known each other now three, well, it was pre-pandemic, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Two and a half, three That's years. Probably at and, least three years, yeah. Yeah, and you, you just have such a way of expressing yourself. As a matter of fact, I'm always telling Rich that what I want to express takes me about, you know, 500 <laughs> words, <laughs> and Tucker can say the same thing in about 10, and it's better, so... <laughs> So well, welcome, Tucker. I, I would and hope that because I've built my my career around that. So well, it a, is absolutely one hundred percent true. If anyone needs that help, he's your guy. <laughs> let me tell you honestly. You know how many times that I wish I could just you know contact you every day when I'm thinking I need to say this, and Tucker will, he'll do it in thirty seconds. So that is a really great. I mean, that is professionally. Yes, you built your career on this, but what I love is that you've gone beyond that. You're not just trying to help people express in, in in fewer words and in a better way. You really like to get to the heart of people. You you're invested in people in a way that you know businesses might say they are, but you truly are. And I yeah. I appreciate that. And I and I'd like to know where that came from. Sure. Um, well, I think the best way to look at it um, is. When I started professionally, um, you know, I went to business school. Let's 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 back up a little bit because that's that word expectation you read in the bio. Um, went to business school because that's what I thought I had to do. Um, you know, I I struggled to find a major. 
I was the creative type, but also that business type. I, I needed the balance. So naturally I went for marketing, but coming out of school, um, finding a job that matched what I love to do was somewhat impossible. Um, I had friends doing the accounting, going to Wall Street, you know, going to Manhattan, the whole thing. I had lawyer friends. And then there was me kind of in this, you know, strange space to be in coming out of school. So I chose advertising because um, I wanted the creative side and the business side. But I quickly realized um, a couple of years into it that it was high risk, low reward, um, very tough to make a living, very stressful. But at the same time, I didn't know what else in terms of a profession made sense for me. So I stuck to it. I didn't want to let down my parents. I didn't want to let down my soon to be at that point uh, wife. And I felt like I was kind of in this space of, okay, well, you know, I watched my own father do the latter kind of a thing, right? He was in that generation of you start here and you go here. So in my mind, Quitting, resigning, changing, all of those other things was not in my DNA. It's not what I was brought up with. In fact, my own grandfather, if you remember the old JCPenney department stores. Yes. My grandfather started off as a stock boy at like 16, worked his way up uh, through World War II to a manager, brought the first cash register into JCPenney, and wow. ultimately was one of JCPenney's pallbearers when he passed away. Get out. So when you think about what I was growing up with is you never quit a job. You always had this kind of ladder effect. And I found myself after years in this business, I wasn't happy. But the expectation was suck it up, do what you need to do. And that's what it was. So I was looking for outlets for more human connection. I was marketing beer and uh, insurance and dot coms and, uh, you know, all sorts of things. But I wasn't excited about what I was marketing, but it's basically what I was expected to do. I outgrew my interest. I outgrew what I could do. I hit this glass ceiling. And here I am at the age of 40, like, oh my gosh, I can't do this the rest of my life. I turned to the guy next to me who was 10 years older than me and he was doing what I was doing. I'm thinking if that's going to be me still in 10 years, I'm not going to make it. Um, so what did I start to do? I started finding ways of coping. Um, you know, I started isolating more. I started watching more TV and ultimately my downfall was drinking too much. Um, Cause that was the only thing that kind of calmed that was that spouse. beer advertising. That was the beer advertising. Part of it too, um, growing up in the 70s and 80s, anxiety wasn't considered um, a mental health concern. Or uh, something you talked about. No one. Especially no. a man. I had extreme anxiety. I was always worrisome. I always had this kind of gut feeling that I wasn't enough. Uh, so I was can, I, can I interrupt you for one yeah. second, Tucker? Yeah. Is that something you'd always had your entire life? And then it just became, uh, it grew because of your dissatisfaction with your professional life? It was always there. Um, I always remember worrying about things and then everyone would say, you worry too much, chill out, you know, you know, stop being so anxious, whatever it was. Um, but it was debilitating at times. Um, sure. Did you put a lot of pressure on yourself? A lot of pressure. I was a people pleaser. Mm. I wanted everyone to like me. The moment I let someone down, it, I mean, it's still to this day, it really, really affects me. 
um, I got that emotional sensitivity from my mom. It was the business sense of my dad, the emotional sensitivity of my mom. Um, and she's battled quite a bit too, but it just, it kind of like was that underlying under the radar, no one's talking about it sort of thing. But I think the alcohol, um, when I was 40, so I'm almost 10 years later, when I was 40, I was diagnosed with acute alcohol abuse disorder, um, which is basically adult onset alcoholic behaviors. Um, so can you what just I didn't explain yeah. what the difference is between that and other types of alcoholism? Because I don't think people know, have heard that term. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a funny thing um, because there's a, there's a, a gray area around the term alcoholism. Um, <clears throat> there are some that are predisposed, the genetic gene where you grow up with it. It's in your system. It just takes a while for it to activate. And it usually will activate in your teen years. Um, you know, that whole social um, socialization and so forth. I was a normal drinker up until late thirties up to. 40. Okay. So you did drink alcohol, but, and you had had no problems with it. No. Wow. Yeah. So when they call it acute, uh, you know, adult onset, it's triggered by trauma or some sort of issue going on that <clears throat> you find yourself self-medicating with alcohol. So situational. Uh, situational. So others do it with um, binge eating. Some people do it with gambling, um, shop, over-exercising. Um, a lot of men, and at this point, it's now one in four men turn to substance abuse. And that's just where, because in, in my mind, it was like, it was socially acceptable. Yeah. It took the edge off until it didn't. And what I didn't realize is, you know, you build up a tolerance and this and that, and it becomes more of a habit. You don't even realize how much you're having. I built up this crutch that required me to have alcohol to calm down. Uh, I don't like mm. pills. I didn't want to be on medication, whatever it was. So in my mind, it's socially acceptable to do this. So why, why is it an issue? What I didn't realize too, is the effects of alcohol. We don't talk about the effects of alcohol, but it's actually can be a stimulant for some and a huge depressor for others. And what it was doing was actually increasing my anxiety the more that I had. So what I didn't realize, what I thought was the counter effect, <laughs> I was actually adding to my problems um, to the point where I had to just say, okay, enough. I mean, this 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 isn't gonna work. Um, for me, I was losing my family. Um, I was losing touch with my wife, my kids. I mean, I was on paper, like, what the hell are you worried about, right? You know, house, two kids, a wife, the dog, parents that are still alive, very supportive. Um, you know, everything was fine. But, you know, from a career perspective, I was dying. Right um, now, but can I, <clears throat> for, it's interesting yeah. you say that from a career perspective, you were dying. However, mm -hmm. the on paper, you weren't dying because you were still working and, right? It You know, you weren't yeah. a drunk in the corner 24 hours yeah. a day. So you were working, you were. So on the outside, professionally, it actually looked good, but that's where the trouble began. Yeah, that's where the trouble began. I mean, I was a quiet drinker for the most part. Um, you know, I wasn't the loud, boisterous at the bar falling over kind of a thing. Um, but going back to the idea around people, everything that I was doing in my job was taking me away from the human connection that I enjoyed the most. Um, and prior to, uh, my mentor in the industry had started TEDx San Diego. So I got really involved in the TEDx world and it was all about helping people get their ideas on a global stage. 
I loved it. I fell in love with it. But it was a volunteer organization. So here I'm thinking, I finally found something that I love, but I can't make a career out of it. So then all of a sudden, now I'm still at this, okay, I've, I've reached a glass ceiling over here. I kind of know where I'm going, but I can't find a way to get over the ceiling. So that just took me further down, further into a, you know, you call it anxiety, depression, whatever it was. I just didn't feel worthy. Um, and I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do? I'm the primary breadwinner, two kids. What the hell's college going to look like? Let alone, I've got everyone around me successful, right? I've got lawyers and doctors and, um, you know, entrepreneurs starting businesses or corporate executives that, you know, are at Sony and, and, you know, Qualcomm and all these big companies. And here I am trying to manage an advertising career in a small company and I'm miserable. So then you start doing this kind of comparanoia where you're oh, like, yes. everybody else. Oh, I love that comparanoia. That's awesome. And I'm thinking this, this just, so it just, and again, I was a silent person. I don't talk about my feelings. Um, so that also, you know, was this ticking time bomb of things. And the only way to keep the bomb from going off was drinking. So, um, yeah, it got to a point where, um, I was losing everything and I checked myself in and said, I can't do this anymore. But what, what saved me? And I still have not told my son to this day. And, and I told him, I would tell him when I went to college or when he went to college, which is happening this fall. I got a, um, I was basically banned from the house. So I was living in a hotel and I got a text message through my wife's phone from my son. And at that time he was probably eight, uh, 10. It said, daddy, when are you coming home? Oh, torture. Changed, changed, changed everything. Uh, checked what? myself. I mean, that literally Tucker. I mean, when I heard that, I thought that's the title of a book. That's. I mean, what a yeah life-changing. He, he saved my life um, on a lot of different fronts. And uh, one day that's, I, I didn't want to put that pressure on him. One day that story will be told um, to him directly. Um, but that was that was the turning point. Um, I knew I had to, to address the anxiety. At that point, mental mm -hmm. health was being more discussed. Um, I, that was the moment I looked in the mirror and said, I have to change everything. Like there's nothing now, not even the alcohol is working. So you get that, you know, proverbial rock bottom. And, you know, it, it wasn't what you would per se, you know, getting arrested, DUI, thrown in jail. It was facing the reality that, and I remember being in the hotel room and resigning to the fact that maybe, maybe this is all God had for me. 40 years old, I've been on this planet. Maybe this was it. And I just pictured myself um, not suicidal, but thinking that at some point my body will just give out. And that's no, when I can I got totally that. relate to that. But at the same time, when I think about it, I almost picture God chuckling. Really? You think that's all I got? You think that's the best I can do for you, Tucker? Really? Yeah. But well, that's I'd where lost we my, get. Right. And I lost my, often you'll hear alcoholism as a sp spiritual malady where I just lost all connection. Um. You know, there's that old, um, you know, TEDx talk where the opposite of of sobriety, or I'm sorry, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Um, and I lost connection to myself, to career, to my family, everyone. And it was just, and I couldn't see it happening. 
um, until I got that text and everything. Isn't changed. that, that is the coolest thing ever because that's the moment because a lot of people think you mentioned it. A lot of people think in addiction, whether it's to alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, they think it, that I used to think this with my own daughter, that something catastrophic is mm-hmm. the moment. But what I've discovered from talking to a lot of people now, including you, because I had never heard this part of your story before. It's a moment for a lot of people. It's a moment. And you had that moment. It's and what I believe to be true. And you're right. It doesn't have to be catastrophic. The rock bottom is the moment that happens when you have a choice to live or die. That's where I think when you hit your rock bottom. Well, what's interesting when you say live or die, you weren't going to die the next in five minutes, but you were dying. I was, it was a slow, painful death. Yeah. You were dying Um, inside. And I think that people don't realize that dying inside can be worse than dying outside. Yeah. So we, we decided to talk about your reinvention at 40 so here now you're at 40 and it's interesting because when, when people think of a reinvention, they think, oh, this one thing, this new career, this, yeah. but you're saying, and oh. by the way, when you're changing everything, the guilt, the shame, the ego, the, I mean, all of the stuff that comes piling in on you, mm-hmm. did you get to a point though, where you actually got excited about it? Or did you have to kind of go through another oh, low I had to go. point? Yeah, no, I had, when you think about reinvention at 40 person, let's just use that, um, the career was the last thing. The reinvention had to be getting to know me for the first time, um, removing all limiting beliefs, removing all the set of expectations, whether self-imposed or not, and removing everything. And literally, I took 45 days off of life to just reinvent and understand who I was as, as an individual. And part of that is you're if you're in a position where you've had a lot of alcohol over time, your brain may take up to nine months to rewire itself. Sure. So I had to reprogram what it was like to wake up in the morning and get dressed and do the things that I needed to do and think about what the day holds, um, positive self-affirmation. I mean, literally the moment I woke up changing my routine of getting out of bed and doing things differently, because I was at the point where, eh, let's just stay here. Um, so it started all the way down to that. So it's, um, it's your thinking, you start to, to believe in yourself, but even then just routine. So you're doing yeah. the positive thinking, the affirmations, but then even right down to getting a routine for you, making yeah. sure you're getting up and getting dressed, even if you were going to work at home. Yeah. The idea of reinvention, it's not like, okay, I don't like this career. I'm going to end it. I'm going to start something new. Uh, if you don't have a connection or relationship with yourself and don't really understand what your gifts are, your strengths are, it ain't going to happen. Um, and that's where I think I, I also lost myself is I didn't know what I brought to the world anymore. Um, cause I hated my career so much. So part of what I need, what I had to do was literally create my, my own board of directors for myself, uh, including me, including my wife, including my, you know, my parents, a couple of trusted confidants and start to re- really think, okay. And I asking them, what do you think my gifts are? What do you think I actually bring to this planet? They were the ones that started to say, hey, you're really good with people. Do you understand? Which is funny because in college, I actually wanted to get into psychology. Mm, I can see that. But it wasn't in the cards, right? I was in business school um, and I couldn't transfer all this kind of stuff. So I started realizing and going back to my old TEDx days of helping people find clarity of their purpose 
and throwing it out into the world, I'm thinking, okay, fine. If that's what I love and that's what I can do well, and people are seeing that I can do that well, then do it. And I didn't know how to do it, but here's the other thing that I didn't do well. I didn't communicate what I wanted. I didn't communicate what I thought I deserved at that point after putting in all of this hard work. You've got to be a little bit into self to understand how you can serve others. Yes. And at that point, I needed somebody to give me permission to say, you need to follow this path. So I took some time and I, and I asked a lot of questions. Um, I told people what I wanted to do. And there was that serendipitous Facebook post from somebody that I coached a while back that said, hey, we're looking for someone who can really focus on strategy around helping people with their ideas. And I thought, well, okay, that sounds good. And that's when that moment of you know a journey of a thousand more is helping a thousand people find clarity of purpose, whether they are in the same position that I am, or maybe they're burnt out in the corporate world, maybe they've had some trauma, Maybe they're looking for more philanthropic work because they've been very successful. They're entrepreneurs. They want to start a business. At that moment, I realized I could help people. Didn't need a degree for it, but my life degree allowed me to help people find that clarity of purpose that actually would help create impact in the world. And I realized I had that sensitivity to wanted to be in service to others. I had that sensitivity towards really focusing on impact because for decades, at that point, 20 years, I focused on things I didn't care about. Well, I wonder how many people do that, Tucker. They oh, they have a the career. They the make numbers, money. They do whatever, but they don't. They're not. It's not fulfilling. Sixty-five percent of Americans during the pandemic started looking for a new job. Twenty percent, according to Mental Health America, only twenty percent find purpose in what they do. That's wow. a huge gap in where we yeah. need to be. It's a lot of time to be spending not feeling like you're fulfilled. Well, and and we way, you why can we... be fulfilled as a, as a postal worker. If that is really, you know, yeah. your calling and you're enjoying, you can be a janitor. It's not about, and I think that's what you're kind of saying too, is that you felt that pressure. And then of course, you know, I'm a college graduate and I'm supposed to be on, like you said, that upward trajectory right? and to step back. And Rich and I have both experiences in our own lives of saying, we yeah. sit back sometimes and go, we could have, should have, you know, you could have been in corporate America and fortune 100 and done this or that or the other thing, but I don't know if it would be fulfilling enough for me. Yeah. And I well, think that's why we find, well, one is, you wonder why we have a mental health crisis, but at the same time, why you find more and more people using their greatest pain as their yes. greatest purpose. You know, you hear that pain to purpose all the time, you and Jamie, right? Jamie's wings is telling you, you need to be in this space of warriors of hope. Yeah, I think, you know what I kind of think, Tucker, because this is for me, when people say, you know, how did, how did you, you know, figure, find this mission or what? No, the mission found me. I didn't find it. I didn't wake up and go, you know, it'd be really cool. And then I could go through this addiction with my daughter and she could be murdered and I could do all these things. Of course not. You never, ever would have chosen the path you're on. But now no. that you're on the other side, I, I know the answer to this, but there was, you have found so many blessings through that. And I'm wondering had alcohol not become an issue for you, would you not still be doing, you'd have been that 50 year old guy sitting next to you at that desk. Yep. Do you think so? Yep, absolutely. So sometimes it takes that, it takes these, these things that mm. happen to us that we, that people would look at as a terrible thing, period. Yeah. I, I think a lot of America, I say America 
could be globally settle yes. for mediocrity. Um, and we put ourselves in a position of mental, emotional, physical, unhealthy, whatever it is. And it just brings us to a point of despair and we're operating from a place of despair. That's not going to bring anything around you or uplift anything around you or bring you abundance in any way, shape or form. If anything, it becomes contagious and others, uh, others, you know, join in in the misery and all of a sudden you're just, I mean, misery loves company. We're, we're creating a company rooted in misery. Isn't that the um, truth? Yeah. And it, friendships it, and families and, yeah. and, and so-called support groups and all sorts of things. Well, and I think I also trace this back now raising teenagers, you know, my wife and I've said this constantly, our education system hasn't, this is a whole nother subject, but I think it's important to, to note one thing. Our education system hasn't changed since day one. Right. We don't teach emotional intelligence. So what ends up happening is as we get older and we don't know how to, you know, communicate or regulate emotions, especially as young, young men that I've found, we're literally signing our own death sentence to, you know, a lot of pain because we don't know how to deal with it. I also think that if I had had more emotional intelligence training, I'd be in a different spot. If I had more ways of understanding how to communicate, I, you know, I had a family that was, you know, we had a great upbringing, but very little internal communication. Very, very common for yeah, those days common. too. So I also think that, and, and I didn't, I took an emotional intelligence training at the age of 41. And I thought to myself, why the hell don't we teach this to teenagers? Yeah, because I think we'd be in a totally different spot too when it comes to, you know, building generations that are rooted in health. Um, so I, I think there's a lot, I, I look back and I'm reflective and I'm able to try and break that cycle with, with our own, um, you know, family, but there are things that I realize that, you know, thank God I, I found them in life. Uh, I always say, you know, it's, I, I'm entering my second half of living. Um, so entering that second half of living, what did I learn from the first half? that's going to transfer over into the second half and not repeat itself. Um, and maybe just maybe the next 30 or 40 years, God bless, um, will be better than ever. Um, yeah. Well, for you personally, but what's important is, you know, I just read for the first time, which is kind of weird because I've always been a reader. I just read man's search for meaning. Oh, you, Victor, you just At read 61. Yeah, I know. Reach through and slap me. It's okay. I know it's weird, but you know, the first, I think things... book, the first book I read, I read in recovery. Really? Book. Oh, how funny. Yeah. Well, so it's been on my list and it's on everybody's list of the most important books you should read and all this. I guess sometimes things happen when they need to happen though, because it did, I read it at the perfect time and, and you and I've discussed some things that I've been struggling through and it really was a perfect time for me to read it. But what I wanted to say is that the, one of the takeaways so many things in that book, but one of the takeaways was that his observation experience in the concentration camp and even after working with a lot of different people was all about having meaning that with, with meaning, you can make it through anything without meaning. It's very difficult to do so. And so you bring up such a good point that we're steering people toward a career of this and becoming that and doing this, but what are really truly are our gifts yeah. that's where we should be, even if it's not the most economically advantageous. I mean, yeah, obviously you got to eat and everything, but yeah. at the end of your life, when you look back, 
Yeah. Will you feel fulfilled? Yeah. Well, and we've, we've conditioned our society to be very focused on a competitive edge, but also labeling. Um, you know, when you walk into a cocktail party, what's the first thing you ask? What do you do? You do. Well, who cares what you do? So I, I, I did this experiment a while back and I love it. If you walk into a cocktail party, instead of asking someone, what do you do? Ask them what lights you up in the morning. And first of all, they'll remember you. Second of all, you will find out more in that person in about a minute than you would talking to them for an hour. So um, true. And it creates because partnerships and networks are built on trust. And the moment you can connect on a really different level, on more of an emotional level, it changes everything. All of the friendships, I put those in air quotes, that I had prior to recovery, I don't really have anymore. Everyone that I'm close with, that I work with, that I partner with, um, that I support are all within the last eight years. Wow. Well, and it's not, I don't look at it as there since your recovery from drinking too much alcohol, it's this reinvention of yourself. It's this coming into grips with and finally realizing your gifts and, and um, believing in yourself and your value in this world and having meaning. Yeah. And so you automatically connect toward other people who have that similar um, drive, I guess. Not so much that, and, and yeah. listen, there's nothing wrong with money. We all need money and it's good. And you can do a lot of good with it, but you just asked, we know what lights you up in the morning. I have never, ever gotten up in the morning and been driven by money mm. ever. I mean, I need to make yeah. it and need to have it, but that's never what's gotten me up in the morning. Yeah. It's always had something to do with feeling like I'm doing something good, something meaningful. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think to, to, to bring it back to the, the topic at hand, this idea around reinvention Again, we think it starts with the career. Um, but for me, you know, people say, oh, what's your, you know, your sobriety date? I don't even say that, right? I say my release date. And the release uh, date is that emotional, freedom, the emotional prison that you put yourself in. And that release date was day one of reinvention. Um, and reinvention cannot start with your career. That is literally a backwards way of looking at it. Because the the career is something that is an expression of what you value and what your gifts are. Right. So if you don't know what your value is and what your gifts are, how are you saying that your career is dictating what those are? That's why the reinvention has to start with understanding who you are as an individual. It sounds cliche, but if we think about it, too many people try and reinvent themselves through their career. They're denying. Um, I've also heard this idea that... Um, Addiction is one man's denial of his strengths. Mm, and yeah. that was a big thing for me, denying the strengths that I didn't even realize I had. Until you get what that is, you shouldn't have a career in anything until you understand what that is. You know what? You bring up such a good point because people will spend buco bucks and time and energy to advance themselves in their career, to go get PhDs and go do whatever. And that's all wonderful and commendable. But then don't spend any time, effort, resources on personal development. It almost seems like it's that thing over there that people that are messed up do. Well, we're all messed up, right? (laughs) We all should be working on our personal development. Because you bring up such a good point. People try to separate their professional and personal lives. I've heard people in the past say, oh, well, he's, he's, but he's really good. He's really honest. I know he cheated on his wife, but he's really honest in business. 
What? Aren't you the same person, whether you're at work or you're at home? Yeah. And I always say too, when, when people say, oh, you know, what are your goals? And then what's the first thing people respond to? Oh, personal or professional. The moment that those start to align and you don't have to delineate between the two, that's when I feel like something's working. You're onto something if those are actually somewhat, not somewhat, are incredibly aligned so that you don't have to delineate between personal and professional. I love that. Tucker, we could talk all day. I know. But I want to I want to wrap this up. Part because two. We're, we're <laughs> going to talk. Yeah, we do. We're going to talk. Um, I'm going to have you on again because we have another topic that really fits well with this that we want to talk about. But um, I wanted to say to anyone who's listening, who's in that space of, I don't care what age. It's funny. I told Tucker not too long ago, I thought I was in, I can't be in midlife crisis because I'm 61. <laughs> it must be a three quarter life crisis. Who knows? But anyone who's feeling like that or that their life doesn't have meaning or purpose or whatever, I would highly recommend that you connect with Tucker. You can go to Tucker Stein, S-T-I-N-E dot com. I don't know if you have any other um, links or anything you want to do, and I can um, add it to this yeah, podcast. Perfect. Is that yeah. good? Tucker no, Stein that, that's com. the easiest way. That's the easiest way to do it. But so if you're thinking, I love what you just said. If you're thinking, oh, well, but professionally I'm okay or but personally I'm okay listen to what he's saying it's really it's really all about you as a human being finding meaning finding purpose and um I don't know if there's a better way to live period I mean I just I don't know without purpose we're all floundering around we're all yeah. going to end up drinking too much or doing something or just feeling yeah. like a loser or feeling I you know how many people Tucker I hear say Oh, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't have one. I can't find mine. Yeah. Well, so, and, and we don't take so, we don't take the time to invest in it. And I'll I'll end with this, Valerie. Language is so important. And I didn't understand that until I started to look at the language that I was speaking to myself. Um, you know, you use the word midlife crisis. I changed it to midlife awakening. Uh, start to think about the way that you talk to yourself. There's a great quote um, by Hafiz, and it's the words you speak become the house you live in. Yes. I had created a house full of negativity and I was locked in. it, couldn't get out of it. And I think that's a really important lesson that finding those gifts, finding the purpose and reinvention is about looking for the words that create the house that you live in. If you're surrounding yourself with words, things, whatever it is, that are out of alignment or are negative, don't expect anything to change. So think about too, it's not just a mindset shift, but think about the language that you're using. Uh, that's something that you can easily think about right now and do yes. a self-assessment. Oh, that's so good and so true. So I wanna, again, I remind you to go to tuckerstein.com and connect with Tucker. He is amazing. I'm so blessed and grateful and thankful that somehow God allowed our paths to cross and um, it's been a great experience. You're a person I treasure. You're right at the top of the list of people that Likewise. I really treasure in this life. Likewise. And Thank guess you. what? Tucker is coming to Warriors and Hope, the Freedom Experience. <laughs> yes. So if you want to hear more about this and so much more, I we have some really great topics and ideas and things that he will be sharing with you. So I hope you'll join us in October in Phoenix for Warriors and Hope. But until then, Tucker, I hope you have an awesome day. Thank you again for joining me. You too. Thank you.